0: Um, even more niche courses like thirteen week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Chris Dreyer, the founder of a very interesting SEO agency, and now author of a new book called Niching Up which is all about focus. I'm not going to say any more, so let's get right into the episode. All right, Chris Dreyer, welcome to the podcast.
0: Alex, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, uh, really excited to speak with you. Not uh, for the only thing, but you have a really cool red Nike sweatshirt on, which...
0: uh, Oh yeah, keep it casual. (laughs)
1: Um, But you just you wrote a new book, you're an author. Now you got a really interesting background. You have a major seo company um so i'd just love to get into your backstory like where did it begin where did the chris that i'm talking to uh start to take form you know were you an entrepreneurial kid like did your parents instill something in you like where did this where did all this start from
0: my dad always instilled a the values of competing and how when you play a game it's fun to win and if you don't win, it's not fun. There's no participation trophies and you only play the game to win. Granted, even games like Monopoly and Yahtzee got really competitive or just anything around the house. How, having said that, those values were really instilled on me and anything I pursued, it just kind of went all in. So even in, in high school and sports, I, I trained and practiced to be the top guy in, in whatever sport I was in and just kind of carried that forward to anything I was you know, pursuing.
1: I love it. I have a four-year-old that, uh, uh, has that same mentality. Although we've been trying to tell her like how, how Winnie makes other people feel, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is interesting, but, um, okay. So you're at this, like attacking the, the universe. Um, and so are you like, just like, what's your first job?
0: My first job. That's such a great question. Cause I haven't talked about this. My first job was, I worked at an antique business. I, I turned 16 and my mom's like, okay, it's time for you to get a job. And she, we pulled up into this antique dealer and they had this giant semi truck backed in. And I was like dressed in nice clothes and, and I got out and I was really nervous and stumbled. And I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for work. And he looked in the window and saw my mom knew my mom. And he's like, you're hired. You're ready to work. And little did I know that semi truck only came once a year. And it just so happened. My timing was perfect to. Oh, then, you know, roll up your sleeves and you're going to unload the semi truck and work till midnight. That was my first job. And my mom told me later that the reason she took me to that is she knew that if I could survive working there, that I could work anywhere because it was a really challenging job. And that was my first job as an antique. I, I basically unloaded trucks and furniture and that's all I did.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, and so, Chris, I'd love to continue the journey. Like, where do you go f- from there? Like, was it college? You know, what, what was the next step?
0: Yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the rapid fire. I my sister started working in at AT&T as a telemarketer, you know, those guys that spam you and try to get you to turn over, right? The the worst in the world. Having said that, she was making so much money in the AC, a very cush job. And I'm like, if I can do half as well as her, you know, I'll really I'll be making more money. So I went and stopped doing the antique thing and went and worked for AT&T. Little did I know that that skill would be really beneficial because I was learning sales and how to communicate. So that was one of my early jobs. I then did uh, weighted tables at a, at a little barbecue restaurant. And that was really, that was what I did in college. And I made a lot of money from that. It was a really popular spot. And I was not the best dude. When I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started off in computer science, took all the hard math classes, got through them, and then decided I didn't want to do that path. And somehow I ended up with a history education degree. I'm not really sure how. I knew that I liked basketball. I thought I was going to be a collegiate coach. So I got my degree, I ended up getting a job at a local high school, and I didn't get an education, a teaching position, I got a detention room job. And the reason I took it is because if I was a three-year detention room teacher and a fourth-year teacher, on my record, it'd be a four-year teacher. It was on that track for tenure, and I had the, I had kids from all different ranges. I had good kids and bad, I had bad kids, right? But I had all this free time, and I Googled how to make money online. The worst query ever. Found the Ed Dale's course to make your first $10 of affiliate marketing. Started doing that as a side hustle. And that side hustle turned into be way more profitable than teaching. So by the end of my second year teaching, I was making about four times the amount and just pursued that and went all in. So I've been all over the place. My friends you know, they, they joke about it at the time about what I was doing, but it's just kind of came in full circle and it's really become a career and a passion.
1: Wow. I love how you look at this, everything, all these, um, uh, opportunities in life. It's like, well, I can make more at AT&T sitting in air conditioning than I could make at the, um, antique store. And I could make more doing this affiliate marketing than I can being a detention teacher. It's like a, you know, it's a, it's a very clean, simple way, computer science, A or B way of looking at the world.
0: Yeah, definitely binary. You know, I, the The antique job was really challenging. I had broke my fingers i all kinds of injuries from that job, even young. It was super dangerous and just the idea of setting in the air condition i didn't care if you cussed me out like no, I had thick skin like i'm good i'm in'm I'm in the a c compared to that previous job. <laughs> I know a lot of people, but it helped me overcome objections and learn to have a thick skin same for weight and tables i I tell my wife, I was like, our kid is going to wait tables or be a bartender because it's a hard job. You, you have to be able to learn how to talk to individuals and multitask and, and show up. And yeah, so I've just I've been all over the place. To be honest, I could tell you many, many stories about different trajectories I went on.
1: Yeah, well, I want to hear about um, uh, you know, the shift to digital marketing um, and building the business that you have now. Like, tell us about how all that came to be.
0: My affiliate marketing business grew to about, let's just say, $16,000 a month. And then the Penguin, Google's Penguin algorithm came out in 2012. And my income went from 16000 to about 2000 overnight. And it was because, and the things that I were doing were just not evergreen. The content wasn't good enough. My links and sites weren't good enough. And I, I wasn't an investor like I am today. And I, my expenses were increasing as my, I was making more money. So I had to get a job and I got a job at an agency and I rose to be their top SEO guy. And it's the classic after a year and a half there, it's the classic. I thought I could do it better. I saw opportunity. So I started my own agency after a little experience in the, in the, in the consulting space.
1: Again, I love this binary outlook. So what was the, you started an SEO agency?
0: Yeah, it was attorney rankings. Back in the day, and we did it early on. I I needed money; it was bootstrapped, so it didn't matter really what the prospect wanted. I would do it. It was bespoke everything. The worst jobs I would take; I would be that guy. And I got a lot of referrals from other agencies. And I was like, "Look, whatever you're turning down, just send it to me." I was like, "I'll do it," and that's how I survived. And and actually, it was very and thrived. And once I did get an established clientele base, then I decided to narrow my focus product, you know, focus on productization, you know, I could hire additional staff to do the things that I didn't want to do. And it's, it's just been a continuous cycle of
1: continuous improvement. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, I'd love to hear about where the company is, is at now?
0: Yeah, right now we're at about, uh, 12 to 13 million. ARR will be eight figure agency, 5,000 last five years in a row. We are a boutique agency where we don't work with a high volume of clients in terms of numbers. We only work with about 45 firms, but they're the they're the much larger firms. And we just go deeper with those relationships and try to solve their problems and really, you know, create value for them. It's the agency space and and in most spaces, it's just a value exchange of what they pay versus
1: what they get. Right. As all of business in the universe and, and life. Um okay so Amazing. Congratulations on building that. Sounds like a fantastic business. Um and so uh but now you you're not just a businessman, you're also an author. Where did that yeah. come from? You wrote this new book. It's called Nitching Up. It sounds, you know, I can't wait to hear talk about that too, but like where did where did that uh, uh motivation come from?
0: Good question. One of my passions is learning. Is I've got a morning habit where every single morning I get up about an hour earlier than I, I needed to need to and I have some quiet time and, I'll, and then I'll listen to a podcast or read a book and I've been doing that for 10 years so I'm consuming you know 60 to 100 books every business books every single year and my market is just so narrow no one knows really who Chris Dreyer is the personal injury attorneys in that space do because of what we provide but I just felt that I had more to offer more to say it was a way to unpack my brain to have some type of legacy and I could really speak to my experience there's nothing worse and when an individual tells you what you need to do, versus tell when I say what I did and what 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 worked for me, it's a different form of um, education, and that's what I did with the niching up book. Is I, I truly practiced what I preached, and I was very self deprecating in the book. There were many things that I did wrong, and just learning from those mistakes, being candid and honest, and I think other individuals will have similar situations in, in different industries and, and thoughts. And I was just trying to provide value out there uh, to a larger audience.
1: I love that the value back to that value exchange. So if you could, you know, summarize the book into, you know, it's obviously the, the you know, the, the highs and lows of, of your journey. Um, but like, are there some insights that, you know, you could like unpack here quickly for uh, for listeners and, you know, provide, for, for provide some value for free just for, for listeners here?
0: The biggest thing is we're all sentients. we all have our mobile device near. So what does that mean? It means that consumers have access to evaluate a business before they, before they work with them. It's not all about location, 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 like it used to be in the past. They have this information resource at their hands. So you have to look at your business and determine how am I going to be different? How am I going to stand out? And it's very challenging a lot of times to determine how you're going to be different. But one way you could be different is to niche down and, and niche downing is is about focus. And in the book, niching up, I guess I could reframe that to niching up is a lot of times people think of scarcity. When you think of niching down, they think of less opportunity, shrinking your TAM. But the thing is, you're you're not converting all consumers because you're not speaking their language. You don't have a profit product that's perfect for them. When you niche up and you choose a niche, it actually is it creates abundance. You can create an offer that's more specific. You can charge more because you're worth it. You can stand out in a crowded space. If you're not in that red ocean. You're in a blue ocean. All these different advantages. And that's really, it's, it's highlighting in the book what the pros are and the cons. Most of the time, people think about the cons and they just think about a shrinking their TAM, their total addressable market. There are actually other cons that I would emphasize more. For example, when you do less, you actually increase the effort and sacrifice on a consumer. For example, my agency, if I only do SEO, then that means if they want PPC or social, they got to go to someone else. It's more effort. There's a reason why Walmart sells groceries now because it decreases effort and sacrifice. So there's, There are pros and cons of niching, and I try to highlight those and just be really candid. It's not for everyone, but it can be right for many individuals.
1: Yeah. So Chris, you're talking about the idea of just doing one small thing that one small group of people love. And this is like, you know, the quintessential way to to do a startup. It's very difficult to become Walmart out of the gate and boil the ocean, but it's not, it's less, still very very difficult, but less difficult to, you know, build Facebook on one college campus and get one group of people really liking your product and then expand from there.
0: Absolutely. And it creates awareness of what you're Consumers' pains are and what they really want. Otherwise, not only that, you become an expert and can solve those pains. Malcolm Gladwell talks about you need 10,000 hours in a discipline before you become an expert. If you're trying to do everything, it's going to be an eternity before you become an expert versus you're focusing in on, you know, David Epstein's book, Range. He talks about the example of the doll. The doll's parents put him in all different sports and he had a propensity of tennis. But imagine if. They just threw him into basketball. He wouldn't have had an awareness and that he had this propensity to be the best in the world at tennis. So I do think when it comes to niching, that you need to have all these experiences and, and determine what you really have a purpose and passion for. But once you identify that, I think it's in most individuals benefit to just truly go all in and try to become remarkable because everything's about value.
1: Wow. Chris, I love it. We always end with, um, you know, some type, of, some type of advice section here. And I mean, that was basically it right there. You just gave, but is there anything else that comes to mind when you know thinking about carving out uh, your place uh, in the universe?
0: The biggest thing is, is thinking more about the consumer is just solving their pains. What do they need help with? If you can create something specific to them, you'll be in good shape as opposed to trying to solve for everyone.
1: I love it. Well, Chris, this was, awesome speaking with you. Um, again, the book is called Nitching up. I assume people can find it, you know, everywhere people find books, but, uh, yeah, this is just, again, really great speaking with you and thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Alex,
0: thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: All right. Talk soon. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like moving up the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow. Thanks.